Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Prasod. I'm a psychiatrist based in London. And today I'm talking to Professor Sue Bailey, who is the current president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists. And we're here in the headquarters of the Royal College of Psychiatrists in Allgate in the east of London. Um, Sue, you were overheard recently at a recent talk you gave in this very building, talking about the fact that as psychiatrists we need to bond a bit more, as it were, with the carers, get the carers to be a bit more of our advocates. What were you meaning by that? When we ask either carers or people who use mental health services what they want, they want to be able to see their psychiatrist and they want that person to be a consistent person in their life and they want them to understand them. And they really, they are our best advocates. So we're much stronger when we work with them, whether we're going to see politicians or whether it's in our day-to-day -day practice when we're asking for what services are clearly needed for any patient group. And the carers, of course, are the people who live with the lived experience of the patients and they actually understand what it's like over time. So they are our best advocates. We're not always perfect. We don't always deliver services in the best way possible. But if you ask both patients and carers what they think of us, they've got a positive view of us and they want us to be there right at the heart of their care wherever they need us. But the very fact you're having to make these statements as the president of the Royal College suggests there is a problem with our relationship with patients and carers. I don't think it's a problem with our relationship. I think it's this outside perception that that's, there are others who um, put psychiatrists down and we start to believe this and therefore we don't actually look at the other person in the room who is our best ally, which are the patients and the carers. You mentioned that there are people who put us down. Could you say a bit more about that? Um, I think we put ourselves down, so I think that's probably number one. I think we're still stuck in this um, arcane and useless conversation about what sort of psychiatrist are we. Um, should we be prescribing medicine? Should we be doing other things? Uh, and I think that we have to get over ourselves. But they are, there are those who will criticise us and will stereotype us and caricature us as people who just go around with a large needle sticking toxic medication on people's backsides. It's been a running theme with many presidents of the college, this notion that there's, and, and the kind of buzz term around this now, is a lack of parity between psychiatry, mental health issues, and the rest of medicine, or the rest of um, the kind of disorders or medical problems that people have. So psychiatric difficulties are very, very common. They cause a lot of suffering, yet they don't attract the resources within the National Health Service, for example, that other serious problems do, like cancer or cardiovascular disease. So are you getting at the fact that to correct that um, lack of parity, there's something that we should be doing? I think it is starting to correct itself through all our efforts and um, looking over the last three years I've had huge support from fellow presidents across the whole of medicine and we've got a group at the moment with pathologists, physicians, uh, general practitioners, pharmacists where we're working together so that we can deliver better physical health care for our patients 
but what they're asking me, particularly the physicians and the general practitioners, is how we can help them to improve the mental health care of their patients. So I think we're at the table, I think we've believed, I think there is now a sense of belief that we are worthwhile. But I suppose the hesitancy would be, um, would our comms department suggest to me that if I was talking to a journalist, that I would say, actually, we're more important than a patient with cancer. Our patient is more important. And if it means money being taken away from cancer services, so be it. We're nearly there. And at that point when I could say that, without our comms people thinking this was a dreadful thing to say, we've made it. It's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I work in private practice in central London and several of the large private hospitals frequently call me in on to see someone on the wards where someone isn't as well as they might have otherwise been uh, mental health terms. The nurses, doctors and the patients are always enormously relieved when I turn up and they usually uh, feel that I've done something because they keep calling me back. So there's a sense in which what's gone wrong here if people, generally speaking, feel a need for a psychiatrist and generally accept that psychiatry well-practiced can be effective? Because what you're talking about is practice and then the other things that get in the way of life. So of course they do because you've dealt with their fears, you've dealt with their anxieties, you've actually got to the bottom of something that's previously been undiagnosable because it's not got a physical origin. So you've done the job for them and you've made them feel better and you're probably going to get their patient better for them. But you move that on and you sat on a boardroom uh, where we're doling out of money and then everybody goes back into their normal camp. So they appreciate us, but of course they'll only really appreciate us if they're willing to go that extra step and advocate on our behalf and say, actually, what we need to improve the care of our patients, diabetes, cancer, we need you as a board, the person with the money, to give more money to the mental health professionals. And that's a big leap for anybody to do because it doesn't make you popular in your own backyard. Isn't there a fundamental problem there, which is that if you were to take money away from people with cancer, God forbid, or people with diabetes or, or, and so on, the suffering and the consequences become very palpable. But with psychiatry, you take money away. There is suffering, but somehow it's not so obvious to, to the outside world. It seems to be more silent suffering or suffering that the NHS seems to be able to avoid. Let's unpick that, because if you migrated the money into mental health, there wouldn't be more suffering in diabetes and cancer because you'd be treating that depression with the cancer patient, you'd actually be helping the person with diabetes to think it was more worthwhile to be compliant with their medication. Some parts of the country now, um, diabetic services are run by community mental health services and they've got better outcomes, they've got more cheerful diabetologists, they've got more cheerful patients who turn up to appointments and they've got better outcomes. And when it comes to well, it wouldn't be noticeable in psychiatry if you didn't have things. Well, of course, actually, um, the ultimate degree of suffering is death. And as our recent training on call survey showed, we are having to make we're asking them to make unacceptable decisions. They're having to spend eight, 10, 12 hours trying to find a bed for a patient who, by the time they've found the bed, have gone from being willing to go into hospital to being unwilling. We're sending people 200 miles up the road in, in, in a caged van to get to another hospital. So I think we just have to speak out, not, not saying we want anything to get worse for anybody else. 
we're the answer. We, we need our patients to have better and we're part of the solution for the rest of medicine. So this is not greedy, it's not us being selfish, this is just better all round for the health of the nation. You mentioned something there very important about the difficulty finding a bed and the administration, the bureaucracy and the length of time and the amount of stress and suffering involved from the time someone arrives in casualty or in the hospital to, to actually getting to a bed. There seems to be much more of this bureaucracy which seems to add to the suffering between the time a patient um, has a need before they actually make contact with the correct psychiatric care. Uh, what's going on there? What's going on is cuts, 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 and the solution, you know, when, when finance becomes the major driver, as it did at Midstaffs, things start to go wrong, uh, and that's why I found the recent trainee survey so difficult to swallow, because the other thing, it had to accept it, it, it showed up, and other studies and other things we've been doing have showed this up. Um, and my big headache then is how can I expect the brightest and the best which are the people we recruit into psychiatry are going to stay in psychiatry if that's their experience. It's not what they came into medicine or psychiatry to do. So we have to stand up and we have to keep hissing. Um, we, we've talked a bit about this bureaucracy. Part of the bureaucracy is that if you arrive um, in, in a GP surgery, there seems to be an almost um, a definite sense in which the NHS tries to offer you anything but a psychiatrist. They may offer you a counsellor or a psychologist uh, via the app scheme, or you might get referred to this famous thing called the multidisciplinary team, and you might end up seeing an occupational therapist or a community psychiatric nurse. But there's a whole series of hurdles you have to cross before, as a patient, you actually end up seeing an actual psychiatrist. And increasingly, psychiatrists are kind of like um, supervising groups of people who see the patient rather than actually seeing the patient themselves. Um, why should a patient want to see a psychiatrist as opposed to all the other professions that are thrown at them instead? Well, let's unpack that and ask what a GP wants. If you ask a GP what they want on a Friday afternoon, they want their patient to see a psychiatrist because that's what we do. Why a psychiatrist? Because we do what we're trying to do. We do diagnose. So all these other professions are great, but it makes no sense for a patient to be having a treatment programme that actually isn't anything to do with their diagnosis. So it's diagnosis up front. What do we do as doctors, and we are doctors as psychiatrists, we deal with complexity, we deal with uncertainty, and we make the offline decisions where there aren't any guidelines to do it. That's what we master in when we train as doctors, and that's what our training teaches us to do. And yes, we. We, do, we should be able to be there to supervise groups of professionals doing the job, but we need to be back in there at the pathway of care where we need it. And we came unstuck 15 years ago with a deliberately misconstrued understanding of new ways of working. We need changed ways of working, but that change involves having psychiatrists there. So what I want to see is primary care psychiatrists sat in the surgery a day a week with the GPs, helping them to understand mental health problems. I want psychiatry trainees and GP trainees to be being trained together, jointly supervised. I want the privilege I had when working with David Goldberg in Manchester, where he just told me, I don't want to see you on a Wednesday. Go and find a GP surgery and sit there and learn what life's about. What did he mean by that? He meant go and see how human beings present to the person who's responsible for their overall care. Sit and learn what comes through the door. Sit and see which is actually psychiatry but not recognised by the GP. Sit and see how you 
don't always think as your patient who's in your outpatient clinic or an inpatient ward, actually understand that patient as close to the community point as you can. But what I think he also meant by that was see how much psychiatry is done by non-psychiatrists. In other words, see how much psychiatry is done by GPs because they can't get a psychiatrist. Mm. So they're left holding the baby, as it were, in terms of having to do it for themselves. And all over the health service that's happening. Yeah, but what we want then is the very strong doctor-doctor alliance. So if we work out 40% of what a GP does is mental health, then what they want is the doctor who's a psychiatrist to be working with them. Yes, with other members of the team to do the things that they are suitably trying to do. But what GPs want are psychiatrists. But their complaint is they can't get hold of one. Yes. And that is because of the way we arrange teams and the way the whole thing functions. And it's that we've got to unpick. And I think the huge opportunity to change this will be on future shape of training. What does that mean? Future Shape of Training is going to allow us across medicine to have what we need, which is more generalists than specialists. And what we need are psychiatrists who learn a lot of primary care medicine. We need general practitioners who learn a lot of mental health. And we need to work across each other to deliver a better service. What we need are enhanced primary care services. So we're going to have far fewer people needing to have these 10-hour waits because they're so ill and there isn't a bed for them. We want community hubs where all the agency can be involved, but where we can give better care to our patients when they're becoming iller, but they still don't need a bed. I wonder if you could say something, uh, and I appreciate that we're, we're reaching the end of our chat, about um, uh, the recruitment crisis, because you're kind of hinting at that a little bit mm. in, in that last answer. I mean, there's, there's two senses in which it, I think there's a crisis. One is getting young, bright doctors to come into psychiatry, mm. but also the fact that at the consultant level, there seem to be an enormous number of unfilled posts or, or posts being done by locum doctors. What are your thoughts about that? Right. Over the last 10 years, it doesn't look good for recruitment, but recently we've had, uh, we've had a better fill rate, so our recruitment campaign has started to have some impact. And it's a balance between saying how bad things are, like A&E doctors have to do, and putting people off psychiatry, and actually saying things are challenging, but we want the brightest and the best to change it. I think the retention is why the college has to put more work into working with established consultants. I don't think we give them enough support in the first five years of their career. And we've got to encourage um, consultant psychiatrists who could leave um, early to stay and actually enjoy what they're doing, but actually make their lives portfolio, doing different sorts of work each day. Professor Sue Bailey, thank you very much indeed.